down to the convention center. Um, I haven't gotten final total tally of how many we had, but I know that it was over 3,000 people that were there. The place was completely and entirely packed. How many had the chance and the opportunity to go last Sunday with us at the convention center? Vast majority of us. And it was an awesome time, wasn't it? Great worship. Ed preached the word. And so, um, I don't know. I'm just kind of still talking about it because it was really, really good and a fun time. Uh, we do want to be sure to encourage everybody, if I could get the slide, to um, go to the, yep, yeah, there we go, go to the Hampton Roads Church website. This link is slightly different from the link that we gave on Wednesday, but this one is hamptonroadschurch.com forward slash now 2018, and that's got pretty much every lesson up there now, so... You can download them, you can stream them, whatever you want to do, and be super encouraged from the conference. Amen? Amen. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 19, if you would, please. And two weeks ago, before the conference, I started a two-part sermon series, if you want to call it that, entitled, Rebaptism, Repentance, and Riots, Part 1. And the reason why I called it that is because at this point in the book of Acts, Paul is on his third missionary journey, and he's in Ephesus. Ephesus was a leading city in Asia Minor, and he meets 12 disciples of John the Baptist that he then goes and re-baptizes. So that's where the first part is from. Later on, some Jewish sorcerers are put to shame by a demon because they tried to fight the spiritual battle by proxy through the Apostle Paul without having their own relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this prompted even some of the Christians who were still practicing sorcery to come clean and to repent. So that's where the second part of it's from, rebaptism, repentance. And so I'm sure you can figure out where we're going this morning, right? It would be to right. That's right. Uh, our passage this morning um, closes out Paul's roughly three-year ministry uh, work in Ephesus, and he's urged to move on after a major riot breaks out because of his preaching about Jesus Christ. We've all heard of uh, disruptive technologies, right? Um, virtual reality, anybody seen those like goggles or glasses that you put on and you're in like these immersive environments and you can even move your hands and do stuff in there? I mean, it's becoming more and more um, prevalent today, but self-driving cars. I saw a guy down at the conference who had a Tesla, and um, I've never, like, sat in one or looked in one, but there's, like, there's, like, no dashboard. I mean, it's just kind of, the thing that you would see on the passenger side, which is nothing, is what you see on the driver's side. And the only thing you do see is there's, like, this huge tablet smack dab in the middle. But anyway, he was talking to me about it and talking about self-driving features and all that kind of thing. Robotics. Uh, robotics are, are doing some of the work that men have been doing for many, many years. Um, AI, or artificial intelligence, is a disruptive technology. And then we've also got 3D printing as well, where you can print almost anything nowadays, just as long as you've got the right whatever, um, whatever it's called, um, program or whatever, you just plug in the computer and you stuff in and you print it. So anyway, uh, these technologies, they don't just make incremental improvements to something. They actually are, are quantum leaps in, in quantum advances in the technology itself. 
So they don't make old ideas better, they completely replace old ideas. And so this afternoon, we're going to see that the gospel is like that. The gospel is like a disruptive technology. And this passage that we're going to look at, beginning in verse 23, is startling when we read it. Because after the disciples repented in the beginning part of Acts chapter 19, the gospel was so disruptive that it actually changed the Ephesian economy. And so the title this afternoon is Rebaptism, Repentance, and Riots, Part 2. And the reason why is because the message of Jesus has the ability to not just transform our lives, but all of Hampton Roads as well. Let's pray and be changed by the Word of God. Father, we come to you, men and women, brothers and sisters, under the banner and love of your Son, Jesus Christ. We come to you in his name. We come to you through his Spirit. We come to you being able to even talk to you because Jesus has gone to the cross and died for all of us. He's been buried, he's risen from the dead on the third day because he has loved us. And Father, we are so appreciative, so thankful, and so grateful. God, we praise you for the amazing love that you have for all of us, for all of creation, for your amazing power that's expressed through the simplicity of the gospel message. And Father, we pray that uh, we could be uh, carrier pigeons, in a sense, to take this message all throughout Hampton Roads, all throughout the state of Virginia, all around the entire world, and have the entire world changed for you. Please open and move our hearts, our minds, and our ears as your word is preached this morning, and as we listen to what your spirit has to say. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's begin reading here in Acts chapter 19, verse... 23. It says, about that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers and related trades, and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in a confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most people didn't even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. 
Department and their proconsuls, they can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in the legal assembly. As it is, we're in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there's no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. So just two simple points this morning. One is the gospel disrupts. The gospel disrupts. And so at this uh, stage here, we, we see that a guy named Demetrius, he was uh, probably very prominent, or at least maybe the head of this silversmith's um, guild. Maybe they were tradesmen or craftsmen, kind of like a union today. And he had gathered all of the, the guys together that participated in this trade, and he, he basically said, guys, you know that we make a lot of money from making these shrines and making these uh, images of Artemis that people can take home and use for their own private worship. But there's something going on here. And what he's saying is that because of the preaching of Paul, who's saying that gods made by human hands are no gods at all, people are not coming to worship Artemis. People have stopped buying the shrines and the idols that we're making, and that's affecting our pocketbooks. That's how powerful the gospel was in the city of Ephesus at the time. He lists three things that they were to be watching out for. One, our trade will lose its good name. Two, the temple will be discredited. And three, Artemis will be robbed of her divine majesty. And so he appeals to them uh, kind of on a, um, I don't know how to say it, but a more politically correct basis. He didn't just go for the juggler and say, listen, we're not making as much money as we used to, and I'm mad about that. Right. He kind of puts it out there in a more um, politically correct, a more um, digestible way, if, if you could say. Artemis is going to be robbed of her divine majesty. So what caused this uh, great disturbance about the way in verse 23? Well, Acts chapter 19, verse 10 gives us a clue. It says, this is as Paul had preached and had these daily discussions in the lecture hall of, of Tyrannus. In verse 10 it says, this went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And then in verse 20, and this is after the, 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 the disciples had repented and burned their scrolls, it says, In this way the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And so what this is showing us is that the word of the Lord was, was so powerful at the time that it had been so widely spread, so many people had heard about it, that this riot was caused as a result of the word of God being so heavily preached. The message of Jesus was causing trouble at a societal level at this point. And so do you believe that when God's word and the message of Jesus spreads and takes root, that entire societies can change? Do you believe that? I believe that. There's a guy named Pliny. That's kind of a weird name, Pliny. Anyway, he, he was a Roman governor, Roman governor of a part in northern Turkey. And this was a little bit after the turn of the, of the beginning of the second century, so 112 AD. His name was Pliny the Younger. And he would, uh, they found all of these in like 1400 or something like that, 1500. They found all these letters, like 120 something letters between Pliny, who was this governor of Rome, and he was writing to the emperor at the time, who was Trajan, who um, initiated a lot of persecution of the Christians at the time. 
back and say, yes, you can build the aqueduct. But in, in one or two of these letters, um, Pliny writes to Trajan, and he basically says, what to do with the Christians? What are you doing with the Christians? And he kind of lays out kind of what he does. When they're accused and they come to me, I ask them these questions. I ask them to recant. I give them three opportunities to do it. If they do it, no problem. I let them go. But if they don't recant, if they don't deny their Jesus, then I torture these people. If they recant, great, I let them go. If they don't, so they still don't recant, then I send them on to Rome because Rome was the only place that could execute uh, Roman citizens. But anyway, at the end of one of these letters, it just shows um, how the culture had changed as a result of Christianity. Again, 112 AD. This is not the Bible talking about the Bible. This is a source outside the Bible, historical document, okay, talking about Christianity. It says, it says the matter seems to me worthy of your consideration. He's talking to Trajan. Especially as there are so many people involved in the danger. That's the danger of being caught and tortured. Many persons of all ages and of both sexes alike are being brought into peril of their lives by their accusers, and the process will go on. For the contagion of this superstition has spread not only through the free cities, but into the villages and the rural districts. And yet it seems to me that it can be checked and set right. It is beyond doubt, listen, that the temples, which have been almost deserted, are beginning again to be thronged with worshipers. That's because they're persecuting the Christians and people are renouncing their faith. It is beyond doubt that the temples, which have been almost deserted, are beginning again to be thronged with worshipers, that the sacred rites, which have for a long time been allowed to lapse, are now being renewed, and that the food for the sacrificial victims is once more finding a sale, whereas up to recently, a buyer was hardly to be found. So you know how we read in the Bible about meat sacrifice to idols, right? Basically what he's saying is that no one was buying the meat sacrifice to idols. Wow. Like the butchers weren't making money anymore. Because everybody had been converted and no one was buying it. He says, from this it is easy to infer when vast numbers of people might be reclaimed if only they were given an opportunity of repentance. And so this gives us a window and a picture. This is what, 60 some odd years after this episode had happened in Ephesus, in a place much farther away from Ephesus, much more rural, and we see how even there, society had been changed by the preaching of the gospel. And why do you think that Artemis isn't worshipped anymore? Why do you think Zeus or Apollos or any of the Greek pantheon is no longer worshipped. If you remember our church history that we talked about a, few, a couple of months ago, over the next 300 years, the Greco-Roman world would be transformed by Christianity and transformed from polytheism and paganism to monotheism. They would no longer worship gods and goddesses and myths because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And really, paganism's fate was sealed when Constantine finally converted. And he, is, he and his successors put, into, uh, put laws into place to make paganism illegal. Now obviously it's seen a great resurgence over, over the last, whatever, 1,500 some odd years, but the point is that the reason why 
change for the better. Well, dark parts of the world take notice. And that is what caused the great disturbance that he's talking about here in Acts chapter 19, verse 23. There's a guy named Victor Hugo. He says, there's one thing stronger than all the armies in the world. And that is an idea whose time has come. Our minds are like parachutes in that uh, once they're open, it, it's hard to put them back together again. Have you ever seen anybody try to refold a parachute and stick it back into the pack? It, it can be done, and people do it all the time. I'm just saying, it's really, really hard to do. Once that thing opens up, I mean, who knows how to fold that thing? It's like trying to refold your air mattress back again and trying to stick it back in the box. Like, it's next to impossible to do. It's like Pandora's box has been opened. That's what it's like when an idea whose time has come comes onto the scene. And as much as some say uh, they may not like the effects of smartphones, guess what? You can't stop them. They come. They're here. There's no more putting it back into the backpack again. That terror has been released and unleashed on the humankind, okay? And they're here to stay. They're here to stay until they embed them biologically into our brains or whatever they end up doing, but at this point, we can only teach and train how to use them responsibly, okay? But that's how Jesus and the Word of the Lord is. Once he learned the truth of God loving you so much that he came in the flesh to die for you and pay the price for your sins so that you could live, it's hard to put that back in the box and turn from it. It's like unseeing something. You know that phrase? Like, you can't unsee that, right? It's like trying to unsee it. You can't do it. So Ephesus was home to the temple of Artemis. And that's actually an artist's rendering of what the temple was supposed to look like. But it was said to have been magnificent. It was one of the seven wonders of the world at the time. And the temple housed the image of Artemis, who was a fertility goddess. You can put up the next slide and... Come on, Tashika, next slide. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, that was Artemis, okay? Fertility goddess, if, if you were Roman, she was known as Diana. The, the Romans would take a lot of the Greek gods and change the names, change the fables, but anyway, she was characterized by what you see. Um, lots of evidence of fertility there. And she was probably... <laughs> probably the most worshipped deity in Asia during Paul's time. We talked about the, the Delphi oracle who had the python spear. That was in Greece. This is in Asia. Um, but the, the temple also doubled as a bank because so many people came and made tribute to uh, this goddess Artemis. They had so much money they began to loan it out and the temple functioned as a bank. But anyway, it led to great wealth in Ephesus, which was part of the reason why the guys are so upset. But anyway, these many um, shrines or statues um, of the temple were, were shaped and fashioned out of wood or silver or whatever other metal that they had. And they would sell these and then people would take them home and they uh, have their own private worship in their homes and they would uh, obviously take some of these figurines as well. And uh, they're still finding these things, by the way. But um, they would um, take these things and take them home and they would uh, worship by them. So people's lives in and around Ephesus had been so changed by the gospel that, again, they were not going to worship Artemis 
anymore. And this is affecting craftsmen who would make these shrines. Uh, they weren't buying them, and the tradesmen saw the danger in that. And so the economy of Ephesus was literally disrupted by the gospel. Could you imagine um, the pimps, the sex traffickers, the drug lords, the meth dealers uh, lining up and, and picketing outside of Picket Road here because of what the church in Hampton Roads has been doing? They're so upset that their businesses are drying up that they decide to come on outside and they're like marching back and forth. You know, hey, ho! Hampton Roads Church has got to go! Hey, ho! Right? You've got to go! Like, you guys are affecting our wealth here, right? That's what was happening in Ephesus at the time. I mean, imagine if no one were paying for prostitutes anymore. No one were buying drugs anymore because they've all become Christians. Imagine the Virginia lottery filing a lawsuit against the Hampton Roads Church because people aren't buying lottery tickets. And I know Mega Millions, it's up there, right? It's like 1.6 billion now. I was at Wawa a couple of nights ago. There's a line, 20 people lining up behind the lottery machine just waiting to try to get their Mega Millions. If you bought a lottery ticket, that's, that's okay. I'm not saying you're bad. Demetrius gets everyone together and gets them all riled, riled up. In verse 28 it says, 
When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Greatest Artemis of the Ephesians! These guys were like ticked off because they were so, I don't know, threatened. Their, their, their bank accounts were threatened. What they believed was, was worship of this uh, goddess, that was threatened. And so they get upset. They, they rush into the theater. They, they find Paul's traveling companions, Gaius and Aristarchus, and they, they seize these guys. They hold them and Paul, he wants to get up there to try to speak to the crowd. And this is a picture of the actual theater in Ephesus. This is the ruins of it. So you can imagine how many thousands of people it held at the time. But Paul wanted to get up there and he wanted to speak to the people. But they discouraged him from speaking. And I can only imagine that Paul's idea was like, man, just, just let me at him. Just let me get up there because you know what he's going to talk about. He's going to talk about Jesus, right? As soon as he gets up there, he's just dreaming of all the people that can be saved by him preaching this incredible message. But they're like, no, 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 Paul, you don't need to get up there. And so they push a, a Jew up there, Alexander. And his point and purpose was to say, hey, these Christian guys are not a part of us. That's what he was supposed to be saying. But they actually shouted him down. And it was the city clerk that actually was able to bring calm to the situation. But the Ephesians were threatened and they felt like they needed to somehow protect Artemis and her image and her name in some way. And, and as I read this, I thought, but I thought she was a goddess. Like, aren't goddesses supposed to be, like, you know, powerful, you know what I mean? Able to do a whole bunch of cool stuff. And I thought, can't she defend herself against some puny humans that are there? Uh, it reminded me of a passage in 1 Samuel 5 when um, the, the Ark of God was stolen and uh, the Philistines had stolen the Ark. And the Philistines placed the Ark in the same temple as their god, Dagon. And you might remember the, the story. And the Bible says that basically they place the ark there and they leave the temple and they come back and their god, Dagon, had fallen over. And the Bible says that they, they picked up Dagon and they, they propped him back up on his stand again and they leave and then the next day they come back and poor Dagon had just fallen over again and they had to prop him back up. And it makes you think, well, what kind of god is that? You gotta like prop up your God like he can't even stand on his own two feet. Like I've got two children that at two years old were able to do that. Your God can't even stand up. Like what is that? Right? That's what I thought about the whole thing. But these guys, they're furious and they're just chanting, great as Artemis of the Ephesians. They're like, you know, kids in the schoolyard that are chanting, fight, 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 fight. You know, and then everybody's just kind of getting into it and you know what it was like in high school. You heard fight, fight, fight. You're like, what? You just took off running. Like, I don't know. I don't care. You're like jumping up over your friends. Like, who's fighting? I don't even care what they're fighting about. I just want to see the fight. That was the kind of mob mentality that these guys were in at the time. It was crazy. They lost their minds. Have you ever noticed that true Christians are the only ones that don't take steps to physically defend their God. Go to the Middle East, shout a slur against Allah, and see what happens. Go to India and disrespect the cow, see what happens. Even atheists in the United States get ticked off when you tell them Merry Christmas. Put up the next slide for me. But when God or Christianity is slandered day after day, 
And when people use his name in vain, even many people use God's name in vain as just a reflex action. You stub your toe, the next thing they say is, oh my goodness. That's right. But they don't quite say that, do they? Next slide. Why don't we write? Why don't we write? It's because our God can protect himself. Our God can protect himself. The real God is the God who needs no human defense. Who needs no propping up when he falls down. In Psalm chapter 2, we, we, we see God's perspective of man's attacks against him. And in Psalm 2, the Bible reads, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. This is what our God is like. When men come against him, he laughs. He is supremely secure because King Jesus has come. He's died on the cross. He's been buried and he has been risen from the dead. And he has been installed and he has sat down at the right hand of God. And no one is going to take that away. No one is going to shake his reign. No one will shake his rule. And so God is not insecure when man attacks him. It is finished already. He is immortal. He is invincible. And even death itself is no threat to our God. That's not to say that we don't engage people in spirited debate. Not saying that we should not be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. I'm just saying that there's no mobs necessary. No riots necessary. No physical violence is necessary. Our God is capable of handing, handling his own business. Are you with me? So unlike the Ephesians, say what you want. Speak your ideas and theories. Write your books and blogs. Post your billboards against Jesus and the church. We're not afraid. We're not threatened. We're secure in who we believe in and why we believe in him. There's no need to write. So even the city clerk figured this out. He says the world knows that Ephesus guards the temple of Artemis. He says if you have a problem, basically, take them to court. Otherwise, the riot is baseless and it makes no sense. Go home. But we see how the world begins to, to fight, right? They're just chanting the same thing over and over. The Bible says for two hours, all they did in that theater was chant, Greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. And when an idea comes your way, 
secure people, a secure person, is able and willing to listen. Because if the idea stands up, well, amen, I'll take your idea. I'm willing to give up my position if my idea is weaker and your idea is stronger. But if you have a weak idea, obviously I'm going to maintain my position. So that's why I said if you're going to write a blog against God and talk about why atheism, what did, what did the, the slide write? Go back one, sorry. Yeah. In the beginning, man created God. There's probably no God. So stop worrying and enjoy your life. Please. Like, but will you see me out there with a can of spray paint, spray painting over that? No. Because the idea does not hold up. Yeah. And I'm secure in what I believe in. Anyway. Psalm 2 closes with, therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Are you confident in the strength of your God this afternoon? And are you secure in taking refuge in Him? In other words, if you were to die today, are you confident that your God would save you? If not, get to know the real God, Jehovah God, the God of the Bible, and His Son, Jesus Christ. Sit down and open the Bible with someone in the church. When you're threatened, you will have no reason to be afraid. Because you'll have the king of the universe on your side. The gospel disrupts. See, I told you just two points. Short lesson, let's make up for all the times I've had really long lessons. The gospel disrupts. And the message that we carry about in, in Jesus has the power to transform society. And in Ephesus, it happened because the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power through the consistent preaching of the word and disciples repenting and turning from the world. Let us leave here this afternoon and do the same. Let's tell people about Jesus and turn from the world ourselves. The world will take notice. The world will get offended. They might even pick it out in front of Picket Road. And when they say and do all kinds of things against Jesus in the church, don't worry. No need to ride in return. Our God can handle himself, and King Jesus has taken his place of honor at the right hand.